brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Is it Tuesday? Hey, man, I know it's 4 o'clock Eastern. That means it's National Football Show time. Hope all are having a great day. We are just absolutely packed once again. So many legendary people will be stepping on the show today, and we'll be talking boxing, Olympics, protesting, NCAA, and we'll be hitting a little bit up on the Denver Broncos. We're going to be talking in this hour to the legendary two-time heavyweight champion and gold medalist, George Foreman, the greatest knockout artist in the history of the heavyweight division. We'll ask him about protesting. He was involved in the greatest protest in the history of the Olympic Games in the 68 Games in Mexico City. We're starting to see a little bit of that now at the U.S. trials to go to the Olympics this summer in Tokyo. We'll ask George what he thinks of it. He was centered around it. Don't you remember the greatest picture in Olympic history with Big George with the Olympic flag walking around the ring after he had won the gold medal? We'll get his thoughts on how he sees the protesting, plus the heavyweight division, which is in shambles today. So what we will do, we will talk to the heavyweight champion. Then at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we'll catch up with our friend Tony Casillas. We'll ask him about athletes being paid in college and get his perspective on that. Tony, of course, has the distinction of winning a national championship at Oklahoma and is a two-time Super Bowl champion with the Dallas Cowboys. Then we're going to catch up with our friend Carl Mecklenburg, who deals with the Denver Broncos. He is a six-time Pro Bowler with those Broncos. He's part of the broadcast team for the Broncos. What are they going to do in the AFC West this year? It's like a headless horseman there with the Broncos. they got all the components around that football team. They just don't have a quarterback. Is Drew Locke the guy? Is Teddy Bridgewater the dude? They just brought him in from Carolina. How is that going? We will talk with our friend Carl Mecklenburg. That will be at 5.30 Eastern time. So let me start this thing out here. And we're kind of going to go around a little bit because I've been watching all sports. Before we get into football, I'm going to make some comparisons here. So last night I'm watching the first two games, or actually the first game. The first two games are going to be on NBC Sports Network. And I'm talking the Stanley Cup Finals. And my first notion was, oh, wait a minute now. You have your marquee event. The Stanley Cup Finals on a cable access channel that nobody gives a you-know-what about. Dude, do you know what they bumped them for on the main network, NBC? America Ninja Warrior. What I'm going to do here is make the comparison to the NFL. Can you imagine knocking the Super Bowl off of network television for American Ninja Warrior? Dude, there lies the difference between the NHL and the NFL. It is the moon and the sun, man. 
NBC doesn't even give a you-know-what about the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. Holy cow. I mean, the Food Network, True TV, have a bigger audience than that cable access. Wayne's World, you know, the Aurora cable outlet, probably has a better audience than the NBC Sports Network. What a travesty. Gary Bettman should be fired. That's what you're putting your marquee event on. You're putting your marquee event on cable access. I thought about that last night. I go, could you imagine ever having the NFL get bumped for American Ninja Warrior? I'm surprised they didn't get bumped for keeping up with the Kardashians. And I love the NHL. I watched the game last night. I watched Tampa take apart the Canadians last night. It looks like the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to go back-to-back and winning their third Stanley Cup championship. But uh, you're, you're watching it, and you're like, man, the NFL is just superior in every way, especially financially. You're watching all access. Your Stanley Cup finals, your championship round is on, like, where they put Wayne's World. Man, do you have a long way to go? The NHL, man, is so far behind. I mean, honestly, MLS and NHL. MLS, I don't even know when the season is. I have never watched an MLS uh, soccer event. Never. I don't even know when they play. I think they play like around now or something like that. I don't even know the names of the teams. I think, what, the LA Galaxy? I, I think I know one team. Soccer in America. Yeah, okay. Let me get off that because it's a non-factor. Now we get to another story here. And this, this, you know, this kind of collides with what we've been talking about pretty much all summer. And that is how Aaron Rodgers is maybe not the greatest teammate. Let me give you another example of a horrible teammate. And this is Scottie Pippen. So Scottie Pippen now is in full sell mode because he's got to sell a new book that's coming out. And basically what this new autobiography with Scottie Pippen is going to do, it's going to be kind of like the angry guy, and it's going to be kind of like a get-back book because of The Last Dance and the documentary that Jordan put out last year. You know, that documentary uh, was in the eyes of Michael Jordan, and it really didn't make Scottie Pippen look all that good in that series. However, even though throughout that whole documentary, Michael Jordan said this is not possible without Scottie Pippen. Still, Scottie Pippen didn't like the fact that Scottie Pippen was made to look like, well, a whiner, um, a guy who wasn't a good teammate. And now, quite frankly, his actions the last two days are showing you what a bad teammate is. I'm not suggesting to you that Aaron Rodgers is a bad teammate, but I want to make some connections here. And using this comparison here with Pippen and what he's doing, think about this for a second. And I don't think Aaron's this bad. Pippen is selling a book and ending relationships so he can sell a book. I mean, would you do that to sell a book, end a relationship that you guys went through one of the greatest journeys of all time? That Chicago Bulls team with Jordan and Pippen and Rodman That's one of my favorite sports teams. I saw those guys up close and personal. I saw those guys against the Warriors back in the day when I was doing radio at KNBR in San Francisco. And the Warriors back then just stunk out loud under P.J. Carlissimo. 
and I'm watching those guys. This was, I think, the 70-win season, and I'm watching these guys just go through and how it didn't matter what the score was. It didn't matter what the hell every – it didn't matter. They were going to go out and win. Just didn't matter. And Jordan would scream at P.J. Carlissimo, what are you hollering at, guy? What are you hollering at? So that whole journey with that team, I just love that basketball team. So now Pippen's calling Phil Jackson a racist. And get this, here's his, here's his reasoning. Because Phil drew up a play for Tony Kukoc in a critical game that was a game-winning shot. Oh, and this just in. Kukoc made it. Kukoc made the shot. And Pippen's still pissed. Here's the wide receiver in the NFL that when you ask the wide receiver in the NFL if he had a good game, no matter if he wins or loses like Odell Beckham Jr., here, watch this. Here's Beckham's call. Well, you know, we won, but I only had two catches and four targets, and I had 60 yards. Not really a great game. Yeah, but you won. Yeah, I know, but I really, I really didn't put up good numbers. It's not about that, man. It's about winning games. Pippen's butt hurt over the fact that Phil drew up a play and Scotty put a racial tag on it. Here's a guy right here that's crying wolf. And here's a guy that hurts racism when there's true racism in the world and just throwing it out to race bait. Scotty Pippen is a race baiter. Then he turns around and says, well, you know, you know, yeah, I'm okay with it. He said it on a Dan Patrick show that he, you know, he's okay with Phil being called a racist. You see, back in that time when the NBA was going through the acclamation of bringing in more European players, there was a sense amongst the African American players that were in the NBA at the time that the league wanted to get more white players because get this college basketball wasn't producing them in the States. So they were going overseas to bring more white players in. Now, if you're coming from that perspective, okay. You know, if you're sitting on the other side and you're an African-American and you see that and you see what the NBA is doing, you might have that perspective. So for white guys to say, that's not, I mean, I, you, you're, you don't walk in those shoes. But Michael Jordan quit the NBA because remember what they did in Chicago? Reinsdorf and Krause, they fired Phil. They weren't going to bring Phil back. And Jordan said, if you fire my coach, I'm out also. Jordan left the game for three years. Left the game for three years for Phil. You think Michael Jordan, who's got the biggest – we all agree, right? When it comes to sports athletes in American sports history – Michael Jordan's got the biggest brand in the history of American sports. Do we not agree with that? You think he's really going to support a racist? So again, you've got to put everything in context here. Scottie Pippen is pimping a book. That's all he's doing here. And so what you're going to do is you're going to lie a little bit to sell the book. But would you really put your entire friendship on the line that somebody has said it publicly that they would have never been in a position to win those championships if it wasn't for Pippen being on those teams with him. You know, 
I think what happened here was is that Scottie Pippen really saw that he was dubbed the Robin, and he didn't like it. You know, I always say this to people. You think Gronk minds being Gronk and being Robin on a Tom Brady Patriots team? Do you think Julian Edelman minded being on a Patriots team with Tom Brady and winning all those championships? How about Jerry Rice? You want to go there? You think Jerry Rice minded being on those Montana and Young teams, knowing that he was the second fiddle and those quarterbacks were the guys? I mean, he was a Robin too. Go down the list of some of the greatest Robins. Do you have a problem? Who would have a problem being considered one of the 20 greatest players of all time? And I'm talking Pippen. Winning six championships and having that distinction and having the GOAT even say, I never would have been here without him. Go back and watch Michael Jordan's induction speech into the Basketball Hall of Fame. He said, none of this is possible without Scottie Pippen. It's just not. But what ended up happening in that last dance, Pippen was made to look like a fool with all his, his ways and the way that he was negotiating his contract. If you remember right, Scotty had a surgery during the season, which he could have had in the offseason, and it was because of the contract that he had a problem with. So he decided to have it during the year, which meant he missed half the season. And Jordan just ripped him for that in that documentary, Last Dance. Pippen didn't like it. There is a part of me now that also sides with Pippen here. Follow me here. You know that line that says, what's said in the locker room stays in the locker room? Well, that Last Dance documentary, you know what it did? It kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit on what was going on truly inside the locker room with the ownership group, with Jerry Reinsdorf, with the general manager who Jordan despised and Jerry Krause. And, and it saw the heartache that they had to deal with with Dennis Rodman taking time off to go and go to Vegas. So Scottie Pippen was in the past always protecting that what's in the locker room stays in the locker room. Last year, kind of Jordan violated that in a way. So Scottie Pippen probably came out and said this. Well, why am I protecting this? Jordan's a selfish dude, man. Nobody had a heads up that he was going to retire and leave the game. Nobody, nobody had a notion. Now, nobody would have begrudged Michael Jordan. His father was murdered. There was a lot of things going on in Jordan's life. Remember the gambling, Atlantic City, New York, and all that? You know, there's even a notion that Jordan had to go away for two years because David Stern, the then commissioner of the NBA, had to do something to suspend him. You know, that's never been proven. I heard Skip Bayless say that this morning, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty ballsy to say that, that you really think that Jordan was kicked out of the game for that gambling that night in the Eastern Conference Finals. And gambling was prohibited back then, and Jordan was seen at numerous casinos. Dude, if you gamble at casinos... You're surely gambling on the game that you're playing in, aren't you? I would think. From what I understand, gambling is a disease. I'm not a gambler. I don't know. So this is one of the ugliest stories I've ever seen in sports on teammates. It's so important. This is why I always tell you about Tom Brady being the greatest teammate of all time. You see this right here? This is ego-driven between Pippen 
and Jordan. Jordan wanted to tell you the story. And by the way, for all intent purposes, that documentary, The Last Dance, I subscribed to everything. I watched it. I covered it. I was going through it. You know, I had just gotten into the business then. And I was watching this as we were doing this. And I, I don't think that anything in that documentary was wrong on how people perceive Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson for that matter. So there were a lot of truths. Did it aim more towards Michael Jordan? Well, it was this documentary. Why wouldn't it? Scotty didn't like it. So now we have a grudge book coming out. This is going to turn into one of the ugliest divorces we've ever seen in sports. You're calling Phil Jackson, a guy with 11 championship rings, a racist. You're calling Michael Jordan a selfish you-know-what, and he never had anything for his teammates, and he's basically what Pippen's calling him a bad teammate. Look at what ego can do to friendships, to a journey that those guys went on. They have now destroyed that journey in the very end. How many years removed also? Those wounds don't seem like they happened yesterday, right? Those wounds happened over 20-some years ago, but they have made it seem like they happened yesterday. It shows you when you have a grudge towards somebody how much you can keep those things and what egos do to people. Again, back to Brady on this. This is what makes Tom Brady one of the absolute greatest teammates of all time. Go, go around the league. Even in the summertime, Russell Wilson was kicking his offensive lineman in the head. I'm tired of getting sacked. I'm tired of getting hit. I'm tired of all the things that are going on with the fact that we're just ripping an offense apart. We're not getting anything together here, and I need more help. What did they do in the offseason? The Seahawks hurt him. They did all that. But still, Russell Wilson kind of kicked his old lineman in the head. Now they're playing good and everything is all good now in those mini camps. I'm sure everything will be all great in the training camps. Because you know why Russell Wilson has built that equity up inside that locker room? Because Russell Wilson comes off to me, and I'm talking from an outsider here, like he's a pretty damn good teammate. Brady comes off like the greatest teammate that's ever lived. Give me the phone numbers to everybody on the team. Even the 53rd guy on the team. I want to know who these guys are. Because when Brady's hollering at you, he wants you to know that it comes from a place of friendship. If I don't know you from a can of paint and I just start hollering at you, then it comes from a place of destruction. You know, I've, I've said this comment to people before, and I'll say it again to you. I learned this lesson from Joe Madden when I was covering the – Tampa Bay Rays, and I asked Joe Madden, Joe, how do you connect with all your guys in the locker room? Joe's one of the greatest managers I've ever been around. He goes, it's simple. My 24, 25 guys that I have on the pine with me, I have a personal relationship with each and every single one of them so that when I need to be constructive, they'll know that I'm coming from a place of love, that I want to see these guys succeed. Because then it comes off like a, a, a sign of destruction. And that's how Madden manages. That's why when Joe Madden gives you 140 different lineup changes, 
each and every single year, and you're like, this guy changes his lineup card, those players on the bench know where Joe's coming from. I need this guy because this is a better matchup for us in this series versus the Mets or what have you. And it's nothing personal. That's how Joe Madden manages. Getting to know these guys and having personal relationships. It's such a great gift if you can pull it off. Not everybody can pull it off. That's why when you're a coach and you draft guys, you're drafting guys because you have a feel for these dudes. That's why coaches don't like to get rid of veteran guys. Coaches don't like to do that because they see something in you that reminds them of them and they like you in their locker room. Same thing when you're hiring an assistant coach. All comes down to that. All comes down to that. So I was watching how Pippen was on the Dan Patrick show, and I'm thinking, what a horrible teammate. No wonder they had to baby the guy. No wonder they had to kiss his ass to make him feel. Scottie Pippen was really the drama queen on that basketball team. And nobody wants to deal with that when you're in a journey like that. Nobody wants to go through that. Nobody has, you, you know, the worst person to work for is somebody that shows up to work with a different mentality every day, isn't he? Or she, right? When you walk into work, one day they're happy, the next day they're miserable, the next day they're kind of good, the next day they're depressed. God, I hate that person. I just totally hate that guy. Because I'm not your psychiatrist. We're, we're here to win. We're here to put a journey together to try to make history. All right. Speaking of making history, one of my favorite people on the planet, the legendary George Foreman. We got the Olympic Games coming up this summer. And as I've told you before, rappers, boxers, UFC, and football people, maybe Mark Cuban, will probably be the only people that you ever see on the National Football Show. The two-time heavyweight champion of the world. We're going to get his thoughts on an array of things. Protesting this summer in Tokyo, should they be? We'll talk to Big George Foreman. We'll do that next. You keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. 
it's your vacation and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Back to the National Football Show, Dan Cilio. One of my favorite Americans of all time is the story of George Foreman. I'm not sure if any of you have seen the Showtime documentary on George Foreman. It's called Foreman. And I watch it from time to time at least twice a year. And it's one of my favorite stories because it's a story of a young man from Houston that was dirt poor. And George Foreman was given an opportunity because of what this country provided. George was a troubled youth, but he would take his background and he would achieve some of the greatest achievements of all time. And he would go on to win the Olympic gold medal. He would go on to win the heavyweight championship two times in a row or two times, I should say fighting some of the greatest fighters in the history of the division. Got to remember something. Back when Foreman was fighting for the heavyweight championship belt, you had Ali, you had Frazier, you had Foreman in the fight game. You had Holmes. You had all these legendary fighters who put up iconic fights. You don't see that any longer in the division. The division hasn't been really popular probably since Tyson was in the division. Or... When George made his comeback and people started taking it serious. But you just go and you follow the story of Foreman. And then, of course, the hamburger grill that turned out to be a monster success in America. I think George sold the thing for $250 million a couple of years back. It's just one of the greatest success stories of all time. Limited education when it came to high school would be in the White House with Lyndon Johnson after he won his gold medal 
in Mexico City. One of the most turbulent games also when it came to social justice of all time. And I bring in my friend, the two-time heavyweight champion of the world. And as I was preparing for this, I've got to show George Foreman this. I was there the night when George Foreman knocked out Michael Mora. Here is my press pass, George. I was sitting ringside, and I'm watching as this fight's going on, folks, and I always learned one lesson from George Foreman. He always used to tell me this, Dan, I'm not trying to win a round. I'm trying to win the fight. <laughs> and I'll never forget when George, hit, when George hit Mora, he goes down. I said, oh, my God, he's done it. George, that night beating Michael Mora or the night that you beat Frazier, what was the more significant night for you? You know, they they were equal in value. I got to put it, be honest with you. Uh, with the Frazier fight, it was an impossibility. I thought, man, heavyweight champ of the world, beating Joe Frazier, impossible. But with Michael Moore, I had expectations, big expectations. So I think the Frazier may have been tougher. You know what? I, I would say this to you too, George. I'll never forget sitting well, there. I mean, I was, and I'm going Joy, more joy with the Frazier fight when you think about it. I was a kid too. I, I would say this to you too, George, that you know, when I watched it that night, I I I I am I wrong when I say that the shorts and the and the boxer shorts that you were wearing that night, were those the same shorts that you lost in Zaire wearing? <laughs> I've heard that on several occasions, and I'm gonna say. I had so many, I wouldn't even know if they were. <laughs> George, uh, what's the... What, what's the around, after winning the title, I walked around with world heavyweight champion on, on all my trunks. And so I had so many of them. Okay. George, what was the more significant achievement for you? The Olympic gold medal or winning those heavyweight championships? Oh, nothing will ever come close to that moment in the Olympics. You talk about impossible. You, just a short time earlier, I'm running down the streets of Houston, Texas, running from the police, a mugger on the street. And then next thing you know, you're standing up, listening to your national anthem in the background, a gold medal on your neck. Now, impossible. Talk about impossible. Ooh, nothing will come close to that. Nothing in sports ever. George, for you, um, during that 68 Olympics, did you know the turmoil that was going on with Carlos and Smith? And when you decided to get the American flag and walk around the ring, was that in protest to what those guys were doing? Or was that just something subconsciously that you wanted everyone to know what America had afforded you? What, what did that moment mean when you were walking around the ring with that American flag? You talk about athlete, camaraderie, brotherhood, friendship. It was the Olympics I ever seen. It was friends and neighbors. Carlos was most joyous. John Carlos, he was the happiest guy. You'd like to see him out on the field relaxing and break records. Tommy Smith, as always. So we didn't know anything like that was coming, nor did we know how to expect and react for it. 
once they made that demonstration, it broke our hearts to see them kicked off the team, though. That was a heartbreaker. Carlos, they had been running for years to get to the Olympics and then told to get out. Now, that hurt every athlete from the Olympic uh, American team. When I won my gold medal, I just wanted because we didn't see any separation in people. You were the only thing that separated us were the colors we wore, red, white, and blue, or whatever. So when I won my gold medal, I wanted the world to see, look, look, I'm an American. I didn't think anything, any other thing about it. And that's all it meant. It wasn't protest, anti-protest, pure happiness. You know, George, you took heat for that though, didn't you? After I, I would imagine you're just looking for your moment. When you won the heavyweight gold medal and you're all of a sudden you're taking criticism because two other athletes decided to do something on their own time and their moment. Um, I, I never thought that that was fair. How did you look at that when you took some of the criticism back then? Oh, just think about it. Every little boy, no matter where you are, uh, every girl watch television, watch movies every day and once and 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 wish you were going to be popular and hope you're going to be popular and your name is going to be used but everyone beware once your name is used once your name is in public everything's going to be said good and bad about you so live with it uh from the job core days i understood that one day nobody knew me and a lot of people afterwards knew me for various reasons and liked me and they never met me or disliked me and never met me I, it didn't bother me. I wanted to be a boxer. First time, you know, uh, about waving the flag, I didn't like people bothering me about that because what else did I have but the United States, uh, the flag of the United States of America? That's all I had. That's all I will ever have is for us, the country and, and natural things. Of course, now I'm gifted with knowledge of God. That helps a lot. But as far as things, if you're not, if you're not, you don't, you're not uh, patriotic to your country. You don't have anything. Where do you live? In the bush? No. The flag was something. So that, uh, to this day, if I had it to do all over again uh, after the Olympics, I would have waved two flags. George, let me ask you this then, George. Are you okay with the athletes protesting in the upcoming Tokyo Games? Uh, look, if you're going to be uh, like 60, I guess about 15, 16, 17, all the way to you know 21, if you don't have any protest in you, you're not really a youth at all. If kids are going to protest, they, you change a lot of things in the world when you make a stand on something. You change and make people look, and it's going to be very few youngsters to resist the temptation of seeing that camera and not do something they think is protest. It's going to be hard, but it's only because they're young. It give, give me a chance to be like, I don't know, 17 years old. I'll probably do something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, George, were you prepared for the success after the Olympics once you came home? Because like you said, all of a sudden you're the kid in the streets of Houston, and all of a sudden now you're in the White House talking to Lyndon Johnson. Were you ready for it? Uh, what I call ready for it, I sit down at uh, the White House, White House. I was invited a second time to the White House to one of the state uh, state dinner. And they sent me, I had, a, had to have a tuxedo on and all these dignitaries from around the world. 
and there was knives and forks on both sides of my plate. I didn't know which one to eat with what. <laughs> was I prepared? No, not for that table. <laughs> I said, all of these forks and spoons. <laughs> I just didn't know what to do. That was that was now that was complicated. That was all the complication complication I saw. Nothing else was complicated. George, you'll problems. have you'll you'll have to excuse me, George, because the George Foreman that I watched when I was a young kid was the guy that I loved. That younger George Foreman that just was going to just pound everyone into submission. And I don't know, maybe I always have a fondness for guys like Liston and people like that because they came from a hard upbringing. And I was just, I was wondering, you go from that really proud kid to being that destructive force in the heavyweight division. What was the transformation in George Foreman one when you started fighting guys like Frazier and you eventually would fight Ali? What was the transformation from that gold medal, George, to the heavyweight first time around, George Foreman? Boy, you know, I when I get in the ring with in the Olympics, I always hit and swing hard as I can. But it was all about I uh, hope I knock this guy down. Then I got to be a professional. These guys didn't respect me. They thought I was just some some guy they were trying to some Olympic champion they were trying to build. They would charge me. And I'd hit them and knock them down, knock them down. Finally, I realized it's not just happening. I am a puncher. And before you know it, I had, what, 30, almost 37 knockouts, uh, missing two to become heavyweight champ of the world. I thought I could knock anyone out, and I knew how to do it. And all I thought about days before the fight, where I'm going to hit a guy. And if he covers up this place, I'm going to hit him in another spot. I even I, I figured I could hit anyone anywhere and knock them out. And then, of course, I left boxing and came back. I had to learn the sport all over again. George, talk to me about going into the ring with Frazier. Here's a guy that had beaten Ali in what was celebrated. And, God, you got to go back and think about this. These two fighters got $5 million in 1970. My God almighty, what would that fight be worth today? Frazier Ali won. And you destroyed Joe Frazier. I mean, I'll never forget the sounds of Cosell. It's one of my favorite calls in sports history. When you walked into the ring and you knocked him down for the first time, I, I, it must have been a, oh, my God, or what was that feeling when you realized you were going to become the heavyweight champion of the world? Well, come into my camp, the great light heavyweight champion of the world. And he had me like a robot. I was practicing every day, doing those combinations, moving around in different positions. I was in probably the best condition I'd ever been in my life. So when Frazier kept doing those things, there were all things like that. I saw it all happen like, a, it's like, is this really happening to me? And once the fight was over, they crowned me champ of the world. The most mysterious thing happened. I felt like Jack Dempsey, Jack Johnson, John L. Sullivan. It's like these guys came alive in me for a second. You actually feel heavyweight champion of the world. That blew me away and gave me like a extra confidence and at one point even a little overconfidence. George, let me ask you the most difficult loss in your career, the Ali fight or the Jimmy Young fight? Boy, you know what was difficult? There was a guy, 
uh, by the name of uh, 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 Clay Hodges in the amateurs. And I only fought a good year in the amateurs, 25 fights total. I lost to him once in Oakland, California on points. And then later on for one of the Golden Glove tournaments, I lost again. And I thought, I don't have any hopes. I just cannot beat Clay Hodges. I can't beat him. I don't think I have much of a career. But when it came time for the big tournament where we would meet again, Clay Hodges lost to a lesser guy somewhere else. From that point on, I knew about losing. I was prepared to win. And I knew about losing. But I forgot about that until I fought Muhammad Ali. And that was a reminder of Clay Hodges. It put me, you know, I went down. I was depressed. You lose something special like the heavyweight title. I was down for a little bit. But then the Jimmy Young thing happened. Not only did I lose, but I won the greatest prize of all, knowledge that there was truly a living God because of an experience in the dressing room. So, you know, the, the, the losses, I just put them in perspective, if you know what I mean. I forgot that you win and lose when I lost to Muhammad, but I put it back together. And with Jimmy Young, I found religion. Are you, were you disappointed that there was never an Ali Foreman too? Uh, I, you know, I wanted the title back, but <laughs> you, you know, I beat Muhammad. A lot of people talk about he won in the rope of dope and everything, but he beat me because he, <laughs> he was jumping off the ropes trying to get away from me. And he turned back and hit me with a, the most explosive combination. One, two, the right hand that stung me. And it wasn't a bee, more like stinging like an elephant. <laughs> that was <laughs> There was on the canvas, you know, uh, trying to get it together. So that guy, it's not like you go to bed every day and say, I want some more of that. Please, may I have some more of that? I'm heartbreaking because I didn't get some more of that. No, <laughs> I wasn't heartbroken because I didn't get that second chance. No way. I, I probably, I didn't want any more of him any more than he wanted any, some more of me. George, then you take that respite and you find God and you become a preacher and this transformation happens uh, to you and you become an evangelist and you have God in your heart. And just like Ali to the last breath, you know, he was a Muslim, got down on his hands and knees every day and thank God for the things that he had in his life. And there was a transformation again for George Foreman, the Olympic George Foreman, the first foreman. Now here's another foreman. And you decide to come back. You know, I've watched the Showtime special where you're almost penniless and you decide to come back because you have to come back. And you, But it's a different foreman. What was different about the George Foreman the second time when you made your comeback than when you fought the first time? Most importantly, the second George Foreman came to work. I had to get a job. I have all these kids. You heard the story. I have all these sons named George and daughters. Well, they have to eat. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I had to come back to work and feed my family. And I had nothing more. Boxing had become a profession to me. And I call it an honorable, honorable profession. I think it's the uh, grandfather of all sports, even of ping pong. People say, well, how can you be a boxer? And, and Look, if you can play ping pong, you can box. It's all about winning and feeding your family. That's all it was about. The first time around, I had, 
but I didn't want to hurt anybody. There was never a punch thrown in anger the second time around. I'll tell you, George, it, the, the the second George Foreman, it just seemed, and I had talked to Angelo Dundee about you, and he said, that second George Foreman, I'm telling you, it would have been a different fight in Zaire if he had the knowledge of the George Foreman too, and he had put that in that young kid. Do you agree with what Angelo told me, that it may have been a different outcome, and it may have been a whole different career if George Foreman, with the knowledge, had that knowledge when he was younger? Well, that, that I take that as the, the ultimate uh, compliment. Angelo Dundee, he looks at things, and most importantly, he was honest. He tells you something, it wouldn't be a whole lot, but it was his honest opinion about things, and for him to say that, uh, make makes me feel really good, but uh, you li we live and you learn. That's all I can say. I learned a lot as the years have gone by. I was tough, good heavyweight champion, and and the younger George. But I came back with the uh, you know the thing is I don't want to hurt anybody. I just want to make a living, and I love that guy. George, I'll tell you this. I I've said this to you before too that you know you come back and you win the heavyweight championship of the world and you're there at, um, you know, the MGM grand and you got on your hands and knees. I, I, I've never asked you the question. What did you say? What were you praying to when you got to your hands? People were bombarding you. We all, I jumped into the ring. We're mm -hmm. all jumping in the ring. I had never George. And I'll tell people this right now, listening to us. I have never heard a louder explosion in my life. Then when Mora hit the deck, and there you looked up, you went, I, 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 I could see you going, oh, my God. And it was almost like you were shocked yourself that you had knocked him out. You go over to the corner. Just what was that brief moment? And then, you know, you had Bob Aram come over, put his arm around you. It was such a great moment. You know, it's strange. I'd, I'd come back to boxing and uh, – a lot of years now started, came back in 87. And this is, remember, 94. And you see athletes today looking up, uh, making pointed up to the sky, or praying or something. I never did any of those things. I'm a preacher by profession. I go to church and uh, that's where I preach. But I never did any kind of demonstration in the ring about religion or anything. But that day, that morning, before I had to uh, go, went to the arena, I said, God, I never say anything. I never open my mouth, nor do I, after the fight, say, give the honor to, I never say anything. I said, but if I win this fight, <laughs> I'm going to get on my knees right there in the corner and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. And I said, that's the only thing. So Michael Moore goes down and I hear the referee counting. It gets, and I look over, I realize he's not getting up. I just kind of looked to heaven and got on my knees, and I did that. <laughs> and Bob Aaron ran over. He couldn't believe it. He said, praise the Lord, George. <laughs> uh, I said, yeah, praise the Lord. And that's, we've never been out of uniform like that before. George, finally here. Um, you know, I've seen Tyson get in the ring with Roy Jones. I don't know, man. I mean, I, hey, I, I tell everybody – you know, I, I don't know, man. Old George still got that punch. I know that, you know, people may think that you're a little old here, George, but these guys are doing these exhibition fights. You ever think about maybe jumping back in there and putting the, tights, the, the shorts on again? You know, I haven't given that much thought. 
Uh, you know, all, I'm already in, in, in uh, being looked at strangely. I got all these kids, about 14 <laughs> grandkids, and it's a wonder they still let me have my car keys. <laughs> I thought going out like I'm going back into boxing. Next thing you know, man, uh, they might take the door keys away from me and lock me up. So I better stay put. Hey, George, it's been really great catching up with you. You always find time for me. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, it's a real honor to have you on the show. Thank you, George. And thank you back. You bet. George Foreman, the legendary two-time heavyweight champion of the world. We'll take a brief time out. You keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. Welcome back to the National Football Show. Dan Cilio. So great catching up with George Foreman. What a legendary fighter. Man, 
I, I, I could have talked for five hours, as you could see, you know, with George. He's just the history of the division. He's the greatest knockout artist in heavyweight championship history. Nobody has a greater knockout percentage than George. That includes Tyson. Two-time heavyweight champion. You add a gold medal to that. You add the $300 million that he's worth. Now, I didn't even get into the grill. Who doesn't have a George Foreman grill, right? I mean, the things that he has done and the journey that he has been on, I'm such a lucky guy to be friends with that guy. It's not just like being a friend of the Klitschko's. I know those guys, but George Foreman is somebody I revere. I mean, I still think at 70 years old that he could still knock people out. That's Here's me just throwing that out. Why don't you get in the ring with Tyson, have one of those ex? He's like, man, <laughs> they take my keys away now. <laughs> man, he's funny, and you, you had to be around for the journey. Just YouTube it in case some of you younger guys out there, man, haven't had the opportunity to watch Foreman's knockouts. Just just YouTube it. I don't I don't remember George Foreman outside of the Ali loss and a couple other fights. And I'm not talking the Foreman, like the second version of Foreman, the younger Foreman. I don't remember him ever going longer than three rounds. This guy used to knock people out with jabs. And it was interesting on what he said about protesting. He said, look, these young kids this coming summer in Tokyo at the Olympics, they're going to be protesting. He goes, who knows what I would have did, you know, at 17. But, you know, George Foreman made it very clear when he went around the ring with that Olympic American flag and he had just won the Olympic medal, it was all about the country and how much he loves America. And I think that's significant because you have to remember in that 68 games, you had Carlos and Smith. And he obviously he knew those guys. And the famous picture of John Carlos and Tommy Smith standing on the podium with their fists raised in the air. We saw a little bit of that at the U.S. trials this past weekend when a hammer thrower decided to turn her back to the American flag. Now, I, I, I'll say this to you. Would I do something like that? Absolutely not. I love my country. I love the men and women that fight for our country. I love the men and women that are our first responders. And with the 20th anniversary of 9-11 coming up, I think it's very imperative that we make sure that we honor those folks to the max. I'm never going to take a knee and turn my back on America. For all of our greatness, we do have a lot of issues still in this country. I'm not preaching anybody here. But for them to be able to have the right to stand on a podium to turn your back is why you're an American. That hammer thrower who turned her back to the national anthem that was played, I know half the country hates it, but you also have to put everything into perspective here. And the perspective is this. Our country gave her that right to do that. Being an American gives you the ability to do whatever you feel fit. You want to protest. You want to rave about our country. That's an American right. 
the most hated people in this country versus the people that are the most revered people in our country. That's a right that's been given to us. And that is what really identifies us as Americans. And the Olympic Games, I'm such a honk for the Olympics. We're going to start getting some football guys that were involved in the Olympics, like Michael Carter, who won the silver medal in the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles. And his daughter ended up going on and winning the Olympic gold medal in Rio um, in 16. And Michael ended up winning three Super Bowl championships with the San Francisco 49ers, one of the best nose guards ever to play. And we'll effort him to get him on the program. But being an Olympian, that's something that everybody dreams about being, representing your country. And to hear George talk and say that that was my crowning achievement was being an Olympian versus winning the heavyweight championship two times in a row. It really, no question about it, in my opinion, you talk about really representing your country. You know, you get a chance to go to Mexico City and everyone knew the games was going to be a political love fest there. And it was. Avery Brundage, the guy who was the president of the IOC, had told everybody, anybody who protests will be sent home. And those guys were sent home. And like Foreman just said, you imagine, man, you strive your entire life to get to that pinnacle of being able to win a gold and a silver medal. Carlos and Smith, that was uh, what they won. Uh, Tommy Smith ended up winning the gold, and John Carlos won the silver. Or excuse me, yes, won the silver. And those two guys stood on the podium, and it's one of the most famous sports pictures in history. So, yeah, I mean, representing your country, I don't think you can get any better than that. All right, let's change gears here and go into this decision that the Supreme Court has decided to render when it comes to NCAA athletics, and that is the right for athletes now to use their image and giving these guys the ability to make money off of their image. And it looks like, according to the NCAA, as early as yesterday, it looks like they're waving the white flag on this because they really don't know how they're going to legislate a ruling that the Supreme Court came down. And I said this a couple days ago. You know, the NCAA was coming up with ways that how they were going to legislate how players can use their image when all of a sudden a judge came back and told the NCAA, you don't have that right to determine how players can use their image. It's an open-ended ability. You can't put guardrails on this. And that's kind of what the NCAA, they were trying to take the Supreme Court decision that has been ruled on. Justice Kavanaugh even came out and said, you're not above the law. And still, what they tried to do was even taking that ruling and trying to cookie-cutter it and to try to put guardrails on a ruling that the United States Supreme Court had ruled on. It just shows you the arrogance of that governing body, the NCAA. Even if they're told they're wrong, they still want to have control over the student-athlete. And I'm so glad to hear that we are now in a position now where the athlete is going to have some say in how he helps promote these programs. It's being now bannered back and forth with the networks that 
you're going to see a industry now when it comes to college football, you're going to talk about a $70 billion a year industry. If you start implementing and when you do implement the 12 team playoff that they're kicking the can down the road here, because you know, they're going to do this. You put 12 teams now and the networks now with the advertising dollar, they're talking $70 billion a year. How many businesses do you know in America that you don't have to pay the employees? Now, the question will be, now again, this ruling by the Supreme Court doesn't give it open-ended where you can start giving salaries to particular athletes. You, it, it, that hasn't been ruled on yet. Conferences are still going to pump the brakes on this, on how, but this was the beginning on how this is going to start getting legislated. Because quite frankly, the NCAA has been put on notice and basically been put on blast by the Supreme Court. Any ruling that hits their hearings is clearly going to rule on the side of the player. You cannot use people's likeness and not think that you can't give some type of benefit. You know, some people are firing back going, well, okay, if we do it this way, um, what's going to be the collateral damage? There's no collateral damage. Do you, you don't really believe that everybody on these college football rosters or these college basketball rosters are going to be in a position here where we're going to be going like this now. Well, all of a sudden, everybody on those teams are going to be made. Not everybody's going to be making money. But if you're using images and you're using names to promote those programs, like you see those television commercials, whoever gave CBS and ESPN the right to use the image of the kid to promote an Alabama-Auburn game, let's say, okay? Who, who, who did that? Did anybody do that? Nobody has ever done that. Okay. We are going to try to effort here our friend, Tony Casillas. And Tony has the distinction of doing this, winning a national championship and also winning a couple Super Bowls. And he joins us here now. All right, Tony, which ring do you wear more? Do you wear the national championship ring or do you wear the Super Bowl rings? You know, honestly, I it just depends. And I'll, by the way, you caught me. Have you ever used one of those Sterothumpers, Dan? I highly <laughs> recommend it. And, and it's not my wife's, it is mine. And anyway, you caught me in the middle of it. But uh, back to the point of uh, the rings. You know what? I, I, have, uh, I have them in my box back here. And really, it's kind of depends on the circumstances. But I have a tendency to wear my, uh, my Super Bowl rings probably the most. Um, and I, 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 not that the novelty ever wears off, uh, it never does, but I just find myself, I wore, wore the hell out of them when I first got them. As you I know, bet. when you went, when you something that's very coveted like that, you wear them, have a tendency to, to wear them, but, uh, it depends on where you're at, you know, at a function, uh, people always want to, want to look at the rings. And so I bring them out, uh, when it comes to national championship, I mean, there's nothing like when a national championship, right, Dan? Uh, and so I think that once I was able to do that, it's like, okay, I'm going to wear my national championship ring. And then fast forward, you know, to in Dallas, 
was able to win two rings and I wore them quite a bit. I mean, by the way, it's a great place to wear it out to the club if you're single because it's a great conversation. <laughs> uh, but I'm beyond that now. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you want people to notice, uh, there's something about diamonds and big rings and flashy people know. So it's a, it's a good conversation piece. But uh, I think the novelty never wears out. I mean, it's just something that's timeless. But when you're talking about the Dallas Cowboys, it has a tendency to give away your age because it's been so damn long since we do that. And so actually, I was doing like a signing. Some kid, uh, some kid was in line. He goes, I said, hey, buddy, what's up? You, know, I, you want me to, let me give you an autograph? He goes, yeah. He goes, I got a question to ask you. I got, I got to ask you. So, what do you? He goes, what do you call a Dallas Cowboy with a Super Bowl ring? I'm like, I'm like, what? He goes, old. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> that, 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 that got, they got my ass, boy. But hey, it's true. <laughs> hey, let me, in this let me. Marking your word out, you're like, uh, what ring is that? I'm like, well, it's a Super Bowl ring. So, well, what team did you play for? So I play for the Dallas Cowboys, but anyway, it, they're, they're timeless, as you know. You know, rings are always timeless. That's that's <laughs> funny, man. What do you call a Dallas Cowboy with a Super Bowl ring? Old. Yes. <laughs> hey, let me. Yeah. Let, Painfully true, though. <laughs> one of the reasons, also, I got you on Tony. I want to get your thoughts on the Supreme Court ruling on athletes starting to get paid using their likeness now, being able to benefit. And Justice Kavanaugh came out and said. You know, the NCAA is not above the law. And mm -hmm. you and I both played at, I would call them the rock star programs back in Absolutely. the 80s. Bama and Miami. I mean, we were we were always on national television. You guys probably even more so than we were on national television. And, and even a guy that was on your team, Brian Bosworth and all those guys. I mean, yeah. think about the money that you guys could have generated. Do you like the idea that this is now opening up for players in college to make some money off their name? You know what? I wouldn't have said that I was for it a few years back because I was kind of, I guess, naive and thought that, look, you go to you go to college and get an education and you get an opportunity to play D1 football. But I don't obviously I don't have that stance anymore. I, I, I've seen it over the years. I've seen the the multi-billion dollar contracts. I've seen uh, you, including myself, how we've just been kind of prostitutes, so, so to speak. And I don't mean that in a harsh term, uh, I guess monetize all the players because there's a reason why they bring players like yourself and all these other great players, D1 athletes, so they can build something and build it and they will come. And when we're talking about come, we're talking about uh, donations. We're talking about huge venues. We're talking about notoriety TV revenue when it comes to universities. And that's huge. It's, it's the entity of the national football league. And, you know, to me, I think, and you mentioned Brian Bosworth. I mean, he was a, a, a tremendous marketeer. I mean, the guy was a, a promotional genius. And I think about, go back to Brian, how many jerseys he sold and, you know, my jersey or whatever. And that era, which brought all this, univer you know, University of Oklahoma, so much notoriety. You know, they, they didn't need it because they won prior to that. You think about players before that. But it all comes back to where we're at now. And it's, it's all about multi-million dollars. And... I think these athletes deserve a piece of the pie. I think it's kind of like the you know, the NFL when you talk about uh, royalties that are uh, that are d divided amongst the players uh, based off the revenue that they sell is a pull off different you know the uh, the merchandise that they sell, and even the NFL doesn't get all that. But to the point of college football, I think it, 
it's time because to me, the NCA has made so many ridiculous decisions when it comes to common sense. Uh, and you, you know that we don't have to get into it, but I think this is the most common sense. And it took the Supreme Court to make them act accordingly to something that was justified and was, was fair. And so not all the players, I think, as you know, Miami and all the big powerhouses, Ohio State, Oklahoma's, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of players that are able to capitalize on, on that. But still the fact that they're, they knowingly, they can do it. And one thing, I, and, and you and I know this, I'm not naive and I don't think people are naive. Players got paid. Um, I'm not going to, and I'm, I'm not going to be brutally honest with you, whether it was a $500 handshake, whether it was booster, we got paid. People didn't know about it. So I think this is the honest way. Uh, if that even makes sense to players to, to be able to finally, because that's all they see. And here's the thing about it. The coaches are the franchise is of these universe. They're playing, you know, Nick Saban makes $15 million a year. I know Lincoln Riley at, at University of Oklahoma makes six or $8 million. So they're making a ton of money. And how are they making that? It's what the players and they're going out and recruiting these guys. And they're only there for a certain period of time. And not all of them are going to go and play in the NFL, but just give them an opportunity to get some of that. And look, they make stipends. And that's another thing people don't know. These players are getting more than what they've gotten over the years, but this is kind of nice to be, to be on the table, to be public knowledge. And I think a lot of people support that. You know, you mentioned Brian Bosworth. I'm wondering because that book was written years ago and I know that you had a massive raspberry with the guy. And I know this, that, I've had I've had I've had Bosworth on and you know he and I went back and forth during that rivalry too and you know Brian has said that he's so sorry for the things that he has said about his teammates about the you know the drug use and all this stuff he he was saying that look I was trying to sell a book we see what's going on with Scotty Pippen now Scotty's mm-hmm. trying to sell a book too I'm just wondering how that relationship is with Brian and with you guys because again I mean you know, he was more of an aloof guy to you guys. I thought you guys were more of a, a, a tight-knit group, and then there mm-hmm. was an outlier, and it was him. H- has that bridge been kind of gapped a little bit, or is it still wide? You know, I don't talk to Brian. I, I, I think that – and, look, I'm old enough to realize that I don't hold grudges against anyone. Uh, I think some, some things that people say that are, that are really skin-deep, I mean, those ones are always be there. And and look, I've always been the guy that, you know, I, as a defensive lineman, that's what we do, man. I mean, we protect our we protect our dudes, and that being the linebackers. And you know, I think we take pride of doing that job. And and I, I and it's it's interesting because when I reach out to Brian, I never hear back from him. And I I, I I'll go back to the thirty for thirty when he did that and. Uh, you know, they want people to be brutally honest. I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be sucking up to him. I wasn't going to be one of these guys that said all the great things that, that weren't, weren't true. And so I was honest with him and with this whole thing. And I don't know what happened there, but uh, obviously I was, <laughs> I was portrayed as this guy that was bitter and didn't like playing with Brian, but there's a lot of guys, but um, you know what? I, he was a tremendous player in college football. As I mentioned, Dan, you know, was a tremendous marketer. I mean, but he was all about this brand, you know, and and I think 
it came from this, you know, it, was, it came with the sacrifice of other people. And that's not something I'm about. And that's not something I stand for. And, you know, to this day, I mean, I'd go out and have a beer with him. Uh, do I think he's changed? No, I don't think he, he's still the, the same guy that's all about. He's a narcissist. He's a guy that thinks about himself. And he's very transparent to that. But uh, it still sounds like that I have these, these, you know, feelings against him where I'm not really a big fan. But, you know, I'm all about being honest. And look, I, I love him, man. He's my brother. Uh, but he was a terrible teammate. I'll tell you this, and I and, and I agree with you one thousand mm-hmm. percent, because you know it's funny how we look at our pro careers and how we look at being in the. You're, you're more self centered as a pro because you know it's a business, mm-hmm. but when you're in the college game, Tony, I'm more about my school to this day. You know, the University of Miami. I loved every guy that I played with, and I loved the journey that we went on because it was all about. You know, today they call it the U. It was all about that. And it was all about us trying to win championships. And I don't know. It's just a different, uh, just a different feeling. And when I see Brian, it really, it looks like he used the Oklahoma logo and you guys to promote himself. And it didn't matter the carnage that he left in in, in wake. You're right. You're right. And, And I think that, you know, for me, it's, it's all about, Whenever you say something about someone, you you, you got to be genuine. You got to be you know, careful what you say. And when I have to, when I have to, you know, sacrifice those relationships and those people that I had was at University of Oklahoma, whether it was Jeff Tupper, whether it was with the guys that you never heard about. Um, at the end of the day, it's not just about you, man. It's about everyone that was involved with this. And and I think that. For him, when I look at this whole picture where he's at now, is that I think he really hurts deep down inside because I think for one, his NFL career was uh, was a disaster. Uh, it, he's one of those guys I think that really cares it within this day because you know he only played uh, you know twelve or thirteen games and then you know steroid abuse took over his body and uh, but that's okay. I mean I think he's you know he's. He's a born again guy where he believes he's got a lot of faith and, and which I really applaud that. I mean, and, uh, but I think it's one of those guys, Dan, you know, me, you and me, you, you know, you reach out to me and, and, and you're, you're, you're a man's man. I say that in a, in a very, very complimentary way. Thank you so much, There's, Tony. You know what? I respect you. Yeah. And, and, re- and so right, much. And so, so I, so I, you're a guy that look, man. If I play with man, I mean, I, you and I would have gotten along great because we're kind of the same mold, you know. Uh, yep. But once you meet people outside of that that comfort zone where you let people in and you like you're vulnerable to them, and all of a sudden they just rip your heart out. Sometimes it's kind of hard to just really <laughs> get that trust back, you know. Oh even yeah. Even even you know even it's been thirty years. It's not that I hold a grudge. It's a it's that I just don't trust people because I don't think they change. You know, it's like, it's like in a relationship, you meet someone, you first meet someone and you, and you start going out, all of a sudden they start changing and you're, they want to change you. You know this, I mean, I've been married for 25 years, almost 24 years. And my wife has had to accept part of me that she doesn't like, but part <laughs> of me, I had to change or it wasn't going to work. So it's the same thing with the marriage and with teammates and some reason, some guys just don't get it. It's all about themselves. And I think if you took a poll 
of 100 guys that played in the NFL, college football. I think for me, that would be uh, the number one answer, although it's kind of changed. But um, but yeah, I, I think that that's it's all about the trust and being able to be able to continue that relationship with someone and being able to get back and talk about things and just picking up where you left off at. Boy, I'll tell you something. You you and I are a lot alike. I've been married to my wife for 33 years, and I tell her, God I've never, I, I watch this, I've never <laughs> in my life loved anyone more. I've never in my life hated anyone more. <laughs> That's a good relationship right there, brother. That's life, hey, man. Hey, <laughs> hey, Tony, thank you so much for doing this, brother. I really appreciate it. You know I love you, man. Thank you, dude. Take care. You got it. That is Tony Casillas. All right, we'll take a brief time out. You keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
Welcome back to the National Football Show. Your boy, Dan Cilio. Tony Casillas is one of the greatest college football players of all time. By the way, college football Hall of Famer. Owner of two Super Bowl rings and a national championship ring. Can't get any better than that. Super, man. I mean, and I believe he was the number two pick in the NFL draft, I think in 86 by the Atlanta Falcons. Number two overall, a defensive tackle. Today, you only see quarterbacks going in those positions, right? You don't see defensive tackles going with the second pick. Hell, you didn't even see Aaron Donald go that high when he came out of Pittsburgh. To show you what you know, people thought of Tony when he came out of college. So, I mean, one of the most decorated college football guys, I believe he's the Lombardi winner. And I know he got hurt his senior year a little bit, but his junior year, he was just lights out. So always great catching up with him. We are going to catch up with seven-time Pro Bowler Carl Mecklenburg at the bottom of the hour. He's part of the broadcast team for the Denver Broncos. We'll get his thoughts on where they fit into the AFC West. Um, you know, they're a headless horseman right now. Drew Locke is their quarterback, and they bring in Teddy Bridgewater, who's going to be the guy. You know, they were kicking cans down the road here about whether or not Aaron Rodgers potentially was going to land there in Denver when all that scuttle came up that, you know, Rodgers wanted out of Green Bay. How true is that? Are they still in the pursuit of that? Or are they even looking at Deshaun Watson? There's no question they want to upgrade the position. I just saw that Paxton Lynch was signed by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders of the CFL. I mean, at the end of the day here, the Denver Broncos and John Elway have not done a very good job at the quarterback position. Outside of Peyton Manning going in and playing quarterback for the Broncos, they've not really done a good job at trying to find the heir apparent to John Elway. I mean, think about it, for instance. I mean, who's been the most dominant quarterback that they've had there since Elway? Peyton Manning by far. The rest of them have just been guys. Jake Plummer's of the world, Brian Greasy's, right? Not anybody really where you just go like this. Okay, they're solidified with this whole thing. So end of the day here, we'll end up getting some comments from our friend Carl Mecklenburg, and we'll get his thoughts on whether or not that Denver Bronco team is going to be a player in the AFC West. All right, let me get into the Washington team thing. Do you guys know who James Dolan is? James Dolan is by far the worst American sports team owner that we have today. He owns the New York Knicks. People would say, well, the Knicks really had a nice run this year. Great. He's owned the team for 25 years. And success in that organization has been sporadic. James Dolan is a buffoon. This guy's more more concerned about what fans are saying about him on t-shirts or people like Charles Oakley are saying inside Madison square garden, than his product on the floor. He's hired people that were not qualified. He's hired people that were in a position where like Isaiah Thomas, I mean, sexual harassment inside of his organization. It's just been a train wreck. James Dolan is a horrific owner. And it's a damn shame that he owns the Knicks, one of the Tiffany franchises in all of American sports. The reason I say this is because we have in our sport, the NFL, we have a guy who's maybe the NFL's version of that. 
and that's Daniel Snyder. The Washington team thing. The whole thing's a joke since he's owned it. Now he's in pursuit of trying to find a new place to build a new stadium. Why would anybody in that area ever support a new stadium for Daniel Snyder? You have had train wreck season after season after season. Your front office has been the laughingstock of the NFL. He is the laughingstock in the NFL. And you talk about one of the Tiffany franchises in the NFL, the Washington thing that used to be known formerly as, as I use a Prince reference, the Redskins. I mean, the whole nickname thing's a joke. The franchise has been run into the ground. And it's by one guy. Do you notice this? You know, sometimes when an owner makes a poor hire when it comes to a head coach or GM, that guy, you know, he, he, he fixes it by hiring somebody more qualified. When has Daniel Snyder ever done anything in that organization's history since he's owned the team that has been, you went like this, wow, that was really RG3? Look what he did with that scenario. They rushed him back too soon, and they destroyed that guy's career. They kind of had something there. He was the former rookie of the year. Rushed him back, put him on the field. What he shouldn't have been, that was the end of that. Daniel Snyder now has hired his wife, his wife, to be the CEO of the Washington team thing. Tanya, is it? Does it matter? Had sexual harassment charges inside the organization with some stupid cheerleader um, scandal that he had with advertisers. Holy cow. How does the NFL take a franchise away from Richardson in Carolina for sexual harassment, but turns around and allows Daniel Snyder not, and get this, you know what's happened over the last couple months? The NFL has allowed Daniel Snyder to buy out his minority partners because you know his minority partners were trying to do behind his back? They were trying to find an owner to come in and buy the team up. Snyder now owns the entire team. All the percentages. Why would the NFL do that? What's Daniel Snyder done for the league? You think Daniel Snyder has been great for the NFL as an owner? He's the closest thing that we have to James Dolan, who runs the Knicks and owns the Knicks and owns MSG and the Rangers for that matter. The Washington football team will never be a winner as long as that dude owns that team. So if you're in the NFC East, you don't have to ever worry about Washington being a juggernaut because the only reason that Washington won last year is because it's the worst division in football. Someone had to win it. Some would say this, well, hey, you know, they're trying to change. They are trying to change. You know why? You know what you do? You bring in Ron Rivera, who's a hell of a coach. You have a guy in Ryan Fitzpatrick who everybody's falling in love with there, by the way. And you're trying to change a culture, but it's a Band-Aid. 
It's a Band-Aid because the guy that owns the team is really the cancer on the team. And until you cut that out, Washington's going to be who they are. You're going to have a meddling owner who thinks he knows personnel. We've not seen that before. Who is going to get involved on draft day. Why? You're not an NFL guy. You know, it's funny. Just because you own an NFL team doesn't make you an NFL guy. You know, you buy a team just because you watch it on TV doesn't make you an NFL. It makes you a fan. And when you're a fan, it's the closest thing to being a fanatic. Washington will never be consistently a winner. It's just not going to happen. That's not who they are because it's not who that owner is. The owner's a train wreck. Had to end up firing Bruce Allen, the former general manager and president of the team. They ended up getting rid of Doug Williams. I mean, Doug Williams told everyone, don't draft Dwayne Haskins. Don't draft. Jay Gruden was in the room. Told You know, he told the owner, don't draft this guy, please. I'm begging you. Don't draft him. Sure enough, they draft him anyway. They were going behind the backs of all the position coaches and the head coaches that have been in there. Now, Ron's getting more say, and that's why they won last year, because Ron's getting some say now. Because Snyder's got to clean up his mess with the sexual harassment charges that were in his front office. Maybe that's a silver lining to the whole thing. You want to know why this Washington team thing won last year? Because Snyder wasn't involved in any team decisions. He was trying to clean up the mess that the previous administration had left behind for him to have to clean up, which he was involved with. What a shame. When Washington is successful and you have a great Washington team, the NFL's in a better place. Believe me. You know, we always say this about when Notre Dame and USC in the college ranks, they're winning. College football's in a great place when those people are winning. More eyeballs are on the television set. Same thing with Washington. It's a great franchise with a great history. And right now, it's just, it's just in turmoil because the owner. All right. Let's say this. And, you know, it's funny. We talk about ownership. And the Dolan family, um, who, owns the, who owns the New York Knicks, have run that thing into the ground. There have been great and there have been poor ownerships in the National Football League. I just mentioned you, Daniel Snyder. Well, Pat Bolin, who owned the Denver Broncos, is arguably one of the greatest owners in the history of the National Football League. When the Denver Broncos were really starting to turn things back around again is when Pat Bolin's family bought the Denver Broncos. And the Bolins were just sensational. Now it's in the process of being sold. And that's kind of why we're seeing a small downtime here when it comes to the Denver Broncos. The Broncos have been put into the hands of John Elway. And I would say this to you, you know, and I've said this before in the past. So John Elway has gotten as a president and general manager of that franchise, he's gotten them to two Super Bowls, winning one of them. Would you take that and then three years of poor football while you're trying to find the next heir apparent at the quarterback position? Sure, I would. I would take a Lombardi trophy if I pushed all my chips in and then I decided that it was going to be in the best interest of our organization to go out and try to find a quarterback. And that's basically what they're doing right now. 
They've got to determine who's going to be the signal caller because you're in a division now, the AFC West. Look at the quarterbacks that are in that division. Derek Carr himself with the Las Vegas Raiders. I think he's a fine quarterback. He's a top 15 guy. You've got Patrick Mahomes in the AFC West. Now you've got the emergence of Justin Herbert inside that division. So now you're in a position right now, if you're the Denver Broncos, where you've got to get a signal caller or you're going to be pulling up the rear in this division. It's a very competitive division. And I'll say this to you about this Bronco roster. I think they have some components on this team that if you plugged in a guy like an Aaron Rodgers, that football team could win maybe 11 ball games and be a serious contender. And that's where they are. Then again, this is not an isolated situation here. You could say that about numerous teams. Look at the look at the New Orleans Saints, for instance. The Saints are a great example of this. Now that you've lost Drew Brees, you're in a position now where you could sit there and do this. Okay, if we get a quarterback in the room, we could maybe be a Super Bowl contending football team again. <clears throat> so, I mean, they can plug a guy in. They may have their guy in Jameis Winston or in what they have with Tyson Hill, but they're still in a search mode for that position. All right, we're going to try to effort our friend Carl Mecklenburg, and we're going to get his thoughts on where this Denver Bronco team goes and if this team is really looking to try to get Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers. We'll do that next. You keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Hello. 
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show. Dan Cilio, we just were talking about the Denver Broncos. And I love this guy's story here, Carl Mecklenburg. And Carl works around the team, and he's a six-time Pro Bowler. And I got to say this to you guys. I want to show you a great story. On, it's not where you're drafted. It's what you do once you get drafted. Carl was a 12th-round draft choice. If I'm not mistaken, correct me, Carl, out of Minnesota. And Carl ends up going on to this legendary career with the Denver Broncos, numerous Super Bowl appearances, and like I said, six-time Pro Bowler, and he joins us now here on the National Football Show. Who would have thought that, right, Carl? I mean, you get drafted. Most guys that get drafted in those rounds, we, we call those guys campers. What was the change for you? Or maybe it was the organization that really gave you the opportunity because, as you know, Carl, some organizations don't look much – at those guys back down there, but it's, it's, you know, an organization that gave you an opportunity to make the roster and then go on to be a star in the, in the national football league. What was it? Why did you make that team? You know, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, Dan Reeves was, uh, was one of those guys. Dan was a, you know, uh, uh, kind of an afterthought guy. And, and he, he was always looking for players. Like, um, I, I was, I was a tweener. I was the 310th pick of the draft. 20 guys away from Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, no one expected me to make it except myself. You know you're in trouble when you show up at training camp and, and the number they uh, they give you is the same number as somebody who's a starter on the team. <laughs> 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 they didn't even give me a backup's number, a starter's number. So, yeah, it was, wasn't expected. Um, first preseason game, uh, I got a couple sacks, forced a fumble against Seattle's starting tackle. I was defensive player of the game, and uh, they changed my number. <laughs> Things happened, right? So it was uh, it, it was right place at the right time, and uh, and really the coaches saw uh, things in me that no other coach had ever seen. Uh, Joe Collier, Merle Moore, Stan Jones, our defensive uh, trio of coaches uh, did a great job in uh, using skill set in a way that could team and and covering for the weaknesses with the team uh, that I had in, in my game as far as coverage and things like that. So it was uh, it, it was the right time for sure for me. Carl, do you think you were then uh, before Kevin Green then? I mean, Kevin Green probably benefited from when you were in college, you know, our dear friend who's passed away now, where Kevin, when he was at Auburn, they didn't know what to do with him too. Put his hand in the dirt, keep him up. When they realize all of a sudden here, you can rush these guys. And so like you guys, when I, when I first got into the league, they were coming up with these Teddy Bruschi guys and they were coming up with guys they didn't know what to do with. And you guys were very athletic. 
That's that says a lot about your coaching staff on what they saw in you and how they could utilize you. Yeah, that's leadership. Uh, a leader should identify the strengths of the people that work for him and put them in positions to be successful. Uh, that's that's what my coaches did for me. And actually, Kevin Green, uh, when he was a rookie, they were at training. Uh, actually, they were at a preseason game with us, and I'm thinking it was in Germany. Uh, so we practiced against uh, he was with the Rams. Um, he, I, I was just killing their, their starting tackle in practice, and he came up to me afterward and was asking me all kinds of questions and trying to just doing what I was doing. So Ke- Kevin was a guy who not only was a, a great athlete, but Kevin was a student of the game uh, and, and a good friend of mine, and, and he's definitely missed. Absolutely. Dear friend of ours as well. Um, okay, let's get into the modern-day Broncos here. How, how much do you really – uh, way into the Broncos and the Packers and this whole Aaron Rodgers thing. Do you think it's a thing? Because again, the history there is John Elway picking up the phone and Peyton Manning wanting to come and play. Manning loves, he lives, his family still lives in Denver. Um, do you put a lot of credence into this conversation that potentially or yeah, potentially I mean, it's, down it's the line? Here. Yeah, it's happened before. I mean, John was the same thing. John, John was owned by the Colts and, uh, and, and forced to trade. Um, I, I, I can see it happening. Uh, Rogers, uh, I think, I think there's a, another deadline coming up where they're going to have to, uh, either pay him $6 million or something that more than that, actually. I July, know, 2nd. Or crazy. July 2nd, yeah, July Carl. 2nd, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so once again, um, I'm sure there's some pressure, uh, that, there, that uh, um, and and when there's financial pressure, then these things tend to happen. Uh, when there's not, then you know the players in Hawaii monkeying around and the teams thinking about other things. But all the headline that that changes things. How good is this roster? And going with what you have at quarterback right now with Drew Locke and with them bringing in Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, look, the division is as competitive as it can get when you're talking about the quarterbacks, Derek Carr and uh, Vegas and. Patrick Mahomes, the emergence now of Justin Herbert here. Can Denver be a player in this division? I think they can because of the, what they've done defensively. Uh, they've they've uh, beefed up a defense that on paper is as good as you've got in the NFL. Um, last year they had all kinds of injuries on the defensive line, all kinds of injuries in the secondary, um, and, and things just didn't work out for them. As you know, uh, you know no, nobody's going to the games in the NFL if they're playing their backups all the time, and that's what happened to the Broncos last year. Uh, if you can control the other team's scoring uh, by running the ball, by by kind of playing old school uh, and, and great defense and turning the ball over, you got a chance to win. That's what the Broncos did uh, last time they won the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 50. That was a defensive team. I know Peyton Manning was on it, but Peyton Manning, they won that game or most of the they played that year. They won that, those games because they had a great defense. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see uh, a healthy defense this year and, and a group of guys that have played together for a little while. Um, it, I, I think it's going to be a good year for the Broncos. Couple last questions for you. I, I'm wondering, and you know, you're you're around the team all the time here. And let me ask you this: how 
How much of the selling of the team and the situation with the Boland family has made when it comes to decision making for the team and compiling, you know, the roster and decision making that goes on in a year to year basis? I mean, obviously, that's contentious between the family right now. I'm just wondering because everything drips down, how much that really plays into what's going on here, too. Why? You know, again, I mean, the Broncos are one of the Tiffany franchises in the National Football League. Has that stunted the growth a little bit of what the roster should be and where it should be because of that yeah, situation? That, that, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a great observation. Um, the leadership uh, has to be there from the from the top. Um, when when I got to the Broncos, the Broncos were owned by a guy named Edgar Kaiser. We had 13 rookies make it my rookie year. That's over a quarter of your uh, your roster as rookies because he was trying to lower the the uh, payroll so he could sell the team. I mean, our our, our role and as we understood it was to help make Mr. Kaiser money. Uh, and then Pat Bowen bought the team. All of a sudden, our role was completely different. Our we our our passion, our mission as a team was we're here to win championships. We're here to serve the community. And, and if you didn't fit within that envelope, you didn't belong there and you knew you didn't belong there. And we all had purpose. This was something you could buy into. Uh, right now, things are things are up in the air. There's there's really no direction uh, from the top down. And, and when that happens, it, it, you got to have a lot of leadership and a lot of strength from within to uh, to, to to play, a, a, I guess, 17 game now schedule and, and do everything you have to do to, to win championships. So I, I do think that's been a problem. And I do think that will continue to be a problem until that's ironed out. Finally here, John Elway, I want you to give me a letter grade and why you gave that letter grade and him um, running the organization. I know he's not the GM any longer. He still maintains the president's role. Of with the organization, just your thoughts on how he's handled everything there in Denver. Yeah, you know, John. John uh, was a teammate of mine and is a friend of mine. Um, any any organization that goes to two Super Bowls uh, in the ten years you're the GM and uh, and and wins one, uh, I, th I think uh, is has done a great job. Um, John John has. Uh, learned along the line which is something that you don't see a lot of gms doing uh initially the first team that went to the super bowl it was peyton manning and a bunch of offensive guys and the, the show on earth kind of offensive uh, you know more passing than the run and then then all of a sudden you know he, he switched gears and said okay we're going we're going to be a defensive team and then they won the super bowl with the defensive team it was all strings he pulled purpose um and and it was very effective so he understands the game um, and always has and is a, uh, a great competitor. Uh, that's why he and Dan Reeves didn't get along very well. They were both so competitive. They both thought they know the right, the right thing to do. So, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I had no problem with John and, and what happened. I thought it was more a function of the uh, ownership situation falling to pieces than it had anything to do really with John. You know it too, and Carl, in closing here, that's um... – you know, what people on the outside, if you're in the media, you don't understand that ownership has to be the stability part when you're building an organization. So if you're going to Super Bowls, you're winning one of them, and you've got turmoil above you, that's almost unheard of for you to be able to go on and do the things. You know, they could criticize them all they want when it comes to the quarterback selection, but I don't care what you say. You win two AFC championships, and you're going through a contentious 
selling of the team and dividing of the family with the Bolin family, I think John's done a great job as well. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, and and uh, it's uh, it's a it's a funny game. I mean, you look at that Super Bowl Fifty team; they were tied or behind in over half the games they played that year in the fourth quarter, um, and they have winning in the Super Bowl. Um, it's that. That the difference between winning and losing is just two or three plays in every game, and and it's uh, I think they've got the players now to switch it over, so they're going to start winning some of those tight games, and I'm I'm excited to see what happens this year. Absolutely, Carl. Thank you so much for taking time with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. You got it, my friend Carl Mecklenburg, six-time Pro Bowler, part of the broadcast team for the Denver Broncos. We'll take a brief time out. You keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
Welcome back. National Football Show, Dan Celio. Carl Mecklenburg thinks the Broncos are close to competing in the AFC West. Mm. Look, I think Teddy Bridgewater's a good quarterback. I do. I don't think Drew Locke's anything. I think he's another disaster that the Broncos have drafted at that position. They have just not gotten that position right. And get this. Look at a Jets situation. The Jets for 50 years have been looking for a quarterback. You know, evaluating the quarterback position is still one of the most difficult things to do when it comes to finding those guys. It's becoming a tad bit easier, though. And here's why. The NFL has finally relented to the college game. You're seeing more kids making it now at the next level and transitioning into the NFL for one simple fact. You're running more spread options, and you're running more of the college-style offenses with these read options. You know, a lot of these kids, when they came out of the game of college football years ago, many of them hadn't even taken a snap from center. Most of them were taking snaps from shotgun. So what the NFL has done, they've taken much of what the college game is now doing. Why do you think you're looking at a guy like Lincoln Riley? And Lincoln Riley's the head coach of Oklahoma. And you're looking at what he's doing fundamentally when it comes to his quarterbacks. And you're seeing all these guys that he's developing at that position now. Because now you're seeing the NFL go to that college and bringing guys out of that program because that's what the NFL guys are starting to do now. This Rattler kid now that they have that's going to be a top prospect, this kid's going to be one of the top kids that are going to go into the NFL draft. He could be a top five guy. Baker Mayfield was a top guy. Look at Jalen Hurts now. Jalen Hurts ended up transferring from Alabama into Oklahoma. And the reason, by the way, do you think that Jalen Hurts is a starting quarterback at Philadelphia because of what he did at Alabama? Or do you think he's a starting quarterback because of what he did at Oklahoma? It's because of what he did at Oklahoma. There's more read option there. It's closer. My point is Oklahoma's offensive style and their approach is closer to what the NFL is trying to accomplish. So he's not there. Obviously, he's going to get a lot of kudos for how he handled himself as a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide, but his production is what got him drafted into the second round and Philadelphia moved up to get him. Let me throw some of these numbers at you here. I want to, you know, we did this the other day. I think it was yesterday we did. We talked about the only metric that you really need to have if you had to have 60 minutes of football and you had to win one ball game. Watch this. Who would it be? I want to show you how pathetic these pro football focus guys are. Tenth best quarterback in the NFL. This is according to them as of today. Lamar Jackson, Baltimore. Are you okay with look? I think if you're in the top 10, I think you can arrange them any way you want, okay? So if you're in the top 10, I'm going to go like this, thumbs up, thumbs down. Do I think Lamar Jackson's the top 10 quarterback? I do. So Pro Football Focus got this one right at 10. They got Baker Mayfield at 9. Are you kidding me? You think Baker Mayfield, on eight games of what he did a year ago, you think that guy is a top nine quarterback? 
not in your life. Watch this. Check. Not in your life. At number eight, Pro Football Focus has Kirk Cousins. Do you think Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback on a football team that didn't even make the playoffs last year? Kirk Cousins. Not in my 10. Do you think Matt Ryan is the seventh best quarterback in the NFL? Actually, is he a top 10 guy? That's what we're doing here. Is he a top 10? I do think he's a top 10. I, even though he's been on horrible teams the last two years. I think Matt Ryan, I'll keep that. So, so far, I got Lamar Jackson. They've had four, we've had four picks. I got two of their picks. I do think Matt Ryan's a top 10 quarterback. At number six, you got Dak Prescott. Do you think Dak Prescott's a top 10 quarterback? Here, let me do this. I do not think that. I think he's top 15. Dak hasn't won enough. Winning has to be part of the equation. It can't be fantasy numbers. Dak's in their top 10 because of fantasy numbers. At five, they've got Josh Allen. Josh Allen is, in my opinion, one of the fastest growing quarterbacks in the NFL. Do I think he's a top 10 guy, let alone a top five guy? I'm going to say Josh Allen. Man, if I learn anything from Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, I'm going to say Allen's a top 10 guy. But I'm, but I'm hedging. So I'll leave that. Russell Wilson's at four. Of course, he's a top 10. Aaron Rodgers is a top 10. He's third. They got Brady at two, which is shocking that they would have Tom Brady at two, given his age. And they have Patrick Mahomes at number one, according to Pro Football Focus. So of the top 10 guys, I picked one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Only three guys, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, and Baker Mayfield, in my opinion, are not top 10. You can arrange these guys any way you like, okay? But I do not think Baker Mayfield is a top 10 quarterback. Hey, who would you want to have in a game, Baker Mayfield or Ryan Tannehill, okay? And according to NFL.com, the Cleveland Browns are the most complete roster in the NFL. Well, if you have the most complete roster in the NFL, according to NFL.com, that means the Cleveland Browns should be the favorite to win the Super Bowl because there's very few complete rosters. You know, they got the Bills in there, I think, the Chiefs, they got the Bucks, they got the Browns in there, and I think they got the Ravens in there as the most complete rosters. But they have the Browns as the number one team. I think the guy that holds them back right now until I see more is their starting quarterback. So when I saw that, I was like, man, Really, you think that the Cleveland Browns have the most complete team? Look, I've said this before to you. I think they have built to get 
they have built a hell of a roster with that football team. They really have. They put a damn good roster together. And when you're adding Jadavian Clowney on the other side of the football, I've said this to you before, though, also about him. I think the poster is actually better than what the movie is. You know what I mean? You know, you hear Jadavian Clowney, you're like, whoa, Jadavian. Guy's never had a double-digit sack year in his entire career. That's not really a superstar movie star. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's why I say the poster, you know, he's great in moments. He's not really, he's like a flash player. So how that will translate and the impact that he will have on that Browns team, hey, he may end up coming out of his shell. I don't know. All right. Appreciate everybody coming aboard today. I love the fact that we got a chance to catch up with our legendary friend, George Foreman. I want to thank our boy Krause, Cal, great stuff. By the way, if you missed any of the show and any of those interviews, do me a favor, go over to the Jacob Media channel. You can like it, share it, anything you want. We really appreciate it. Till tomorrow, 4 to 6 Eastern time, we will catch you on the flip side. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.